Welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, cybersecurity, data privacy, and tech innovation. That's right. I'm Laura Milstein. <laughs> That's right. You guessed it. <gasps> I'm Laura Milstein. <laughs> and we are That Tech, 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 Tech Pod. Laura, I don't know that much about technology, but my name is Gabby Schulte, and you know more about technology than I do, and your name is Lauren Milstein. This is the um, weirdest intro we've ever done, but for good reason, like it. because it's an AI one, and if we had AI doing our intro, it would be a lot cooler yeah, than we're doing. Well, it would be more robotic, for sure, I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, hello, my name is Gabriella Schulte. Oh, mine would be more like, <laughs> and then I'd be like, "Why is it not saying it?" Because I feel like mine would not be like fully developed yet. Yeah, no, totally. Um, <laughs> well, who who are we talking to today, Gabby? Tell everyone. Each week, you know it. We talk to heavy hitters in the industry. Today is about AI. So we are talking to Andrew Kelly III. He is a global technology executive with public company and startup experience. So currently he is VP uh, of Corporate Development and Ventures at Five9. Um, prior to this role, Andrew was chief commercial at an Internet of Things startup, Box Lock. So Andrew is super passionate about technology, customer scaling, and growth. We are going to be talking to him today about AI and using models that uh, you don't even need to code for, Laura. How exciting is that? You're on mute, my friend. You are right, but I was just agreeing with you. He's going to talk to us about everything. I heard that if you listen closely, he's going to even give you some tips on how to use AI to get a job, but oh my that's just a rumor so on the streets. So, well, Andrew, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so, I mean... You have a really, really cool, impressive background. So kind of tell us, we love asking this question. How do you, um, how did you kind of journey into the world of technology? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. So I've been programming since grade school, breaking computers, mostly not being able to repair them again, um, (laughs) trying to figure out, you know, how they work. Um, And so that led me to engineering and that led me to, um, you know, first being a mechanical engineer. So I, um, that at NC state and MIT that I started a company and then, you know, I realized that I don't want to pursue like a CTO role or a CIO role just for me personally. Um, and so I started looking for other things. And so I was able to stay in technology, but just focus on a different side of it. And so I've had a sales role. I've, now got an M&A role. And it's basically the unifying thread is I like people. I like technology. I like breaking things. And I'm intellectually curious, even though I have an increasing appreciation for what I don't know, versus when I started my career, I knew everything. You can tell me anything. (laughs) As, as we all do, right? <laughs> um, well, that's so cool. I mean, I am at, I'm always fascinated by people who come in and say, you know, I really like taking apart things and kind of figuring out how they work because I have never thought about that. Like, 
you know, I, I have no idea how my TV actually works and I've never thought to figure it out. So I have like a lot of admiration for people who are like, let me get in there. Um, you could become one of those people, Gabby. Like you should do it today. You should be like, how I'm just going to build my own TV. Well, then I would definitely need to buy a new TV because like Andrew with his old computers, (laughs) could not put it back. Um, yeah, but so Andrew, tell us, um, a little bit about kind of like how you got into, uh, you know, today we really want to get into, uh, as we were talking about before the recording, kind of technology that people can use without coding. But mm-hmm. before we get into that, what is the technology right like uh what is the technology like right now? Oh, so that's such a very broad question. So uh let's try to talk about like AI as the technology, uh, if you will. So um obviously you know, recently people are talking a lot about large language models or LLM, which means you've got a model that's been trained on a large data set, and that data set may be comprised of books articles, magazines, it may be uh, cut off at a fixed point in historical time, or it may be uh, connected to the internet live right now. Um, There are pros and cons to both of them. Um, There, of course, are also many other applications that are industry vertical specific, right? And so uh, tomorrow I may be headed uh, maybe 30 minutes north of me to hear a talk on the application of AI in healthcare, law, and the environment. Three totally different industry verticals, right? So in healthcare, you know, one of the common um, AI use cases is in radiology. I think radiology is probably ahead of many other special uh, specific disciplines in healthcare because uh, a model could be trained with images of irregular skin patches or, or moles that may be um, precursors to cancer, and maybe uh, because it doesn't need to take a coffee break or eat lunch, right? It can just throughput much more data and results than an actual human radiologist can, right? And so probably maybe five years ago, I live in uh, Dallas, so UT Southwestern is one of the bigger hospital systems here. And so at UT Southwestern, I was hearing about uh, PhDs and machine learning specialists talking about this specific application, which now, of course, I think probably everybody on the planet is using some version of this. Um, And then, you know, and a lot of people's personal lives, whether you've got, um, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or Epics or you know whatever, uh, most of those things will have a recommendation engine in it. If you like this, you may like that, right? And so there are many different attributes. And so there's this concept called tagging. And so a tag is like an attribute. So uh, with the movie example, for example, comedy versus horror, like those two things are not the same. Um, short films versus documentaries, those two things are not the same, right? Um, U.S. versus international language. Those two things are not the same. So you can imagine as you uh, have many, many more tags, you can um, try and make your recommendations increasingly precise. And so um, for me, um, in my daily life, I the closest I come to actually um, getting close to uh, AI is basic regression analysis, just simple best fit curves because my current job is M&A. Right. And so in MA, you're trying to figure out, okay, so um, what is the thing that is most determinant of value for companies in the tech space? Right. And usually, if you run a big scatter plot, that looks like um, either revenue growth or profitability, or more likely the combination of both of those two things, where you sort of move from a univariate, which means just one variable, to a multivariate, 
meaning multiple variables, variables uh, uh, in one equation to try to figure out the best fit. And so obviously there are increasingly sophisticated ways to do that in AI without you know, one or two variables, you can have almost an infinite number of variables, right? Uh, and then there's there's lots of other different model types, right, that are out there, right? So um, there are deep neural networks. Um, maybe one of my favorite um, types of uh, models is um, uh, general adversarial networks or GANs, which means you have two different models that kind of fight it out, right? And the model that has the best recommendation wins, and the two um, in competition with, with each other create a better result than one alone. And so there's a lot going on. Oh, by the way, um, there's probably a dozen research papers that have been published today, right? So um, in machine learning or natural language processing or some facet of AI, um, I think it's Archive, uh, is is one of the places where you can, you can sign up. And if you're so inclined, um, you can read various and sundry research papers on AI from across the globe. Um, not a lot of people could have the appetite for that, but if you're a, a, um, a machine learning or uh, a natural language processing uh, or data scientist, um, then these are the kinds of things that you, that you live for. I just need to make sure that Gabby knows that she will be quizzed at the end of this. Because I <laughs> not. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, and, and, and I, I, I can 100% tell you that I sound very confident, like I know what I'm talking about. I've got friends that are PhD statisticians who run circles around me, run laps around me all day, every day, who are deep, deep into the art, right? And so... I am I am skimming the waves with you guys today, and we are not deep sea diving. Yeah, they can't come on this podcast because they can't. <laughs> they can't come this on here. Definitely one of my uh, least knowledgeable subjects in tech. But so this is why you're here, though. This is why we brought you. By using AI machine learning. EY teams are helping businesses add value by delivering insights as decisions are made in real time. Across a wide range of industries, geographies, and business issues, automation is an integral key driver for business needs for today and tomorrow. EY is helping to tackle many business challenges and leading their clients to better outcomes with technology solutions that embed their domain know-how. Through EY Virtual, clients are provided with an integrated digital approach to managing legal and compliance risk for organizations. As a suite of issue-driven apps and client workspaces, EY Virtual dynamically integrates, transforms, and orchestrates data, providing AI insights. It features visualization, mapping, and modeling, so businesses can have firm, wide oversight and helps build on legal and compliance capabilities as business needs evolve. Built on a Built on AI-driven technology, EY Virtual sits either on the cloud or on-premises, which means data is kept together and is more secure. And by connecting partner environments within a single platform, businesses can manage their work and processes with a single point of entry. Learn more about EY and their technology solutions at www.ey.com backslash EY Virtual. Now, back to the show. We brought you so um yeah 
Yeah, I, I was so like, no what? I was watching Gabby the whole time you were talking, Andrew. And just just so you know, I, I know that you're a big fan of our show. I believe you listen to all of our episodes. And don't tell me if, if I'm wrong on that. And so, you know, Gabby is the one on here who does this. This isn't her background. So anytime someone gets a little like too ingrained in the tech, I just watch Gabby because her reaction goes from like, OK, to wait. Wait, 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 wait. I'm following. I just do not want a quiz later about that. Yeah. So you, you could tell that I've already had a couple of cups of coffee today, right? I get excited about this. And so I just kind of run on at the mouth. I would try to do better at pacing myself and, and giving shorter answers. No, oh, it's, it's great. Fine. We love it. We love it. Yeah. So, so Andrew, one of the things that you had mentioned during this is, is the amount of knowledge and how, you know, it is true. Every day there's a new finding, a new AI, a new factor in this. What does that mean? One, are they actually new? Two, are there too many new things? How do you know what's real? What's good? What's I don't I lost count there, but basically my questions are all the same. What does that mean? Where is that going? How can we narrow down the search? So if Gabby after this wants to research AI, what does she do? Yeah. So there's a lot in there to unpack. So a few things. So one, go at your own pace. I think that is always the best, right? No one should feel like AI is completely unaccessible to them because they haven't read like this research paper or they didn't go to such and such a school or, you know, they haven't been following AI for 10 years, right? Um, no, forget all that stuff, right? Today, um, there are programs right now that I think we were talking about TVs earlier, right? So just because the three of us don't know exactly how our TVs work doesn't mean that they're not useful, right? And so the same exact thing applies, right? So um, you know, obviously, like right now, chat GPT uh, uh, is, you know, one of the most popular uh, large language models that's out there. Um, that model is produced by OpenAI, the same company that also produced Dolly. If you've never heard of chat GPT before, basically what it allows you to do is uh, prompt the engine and the engine will give you an answer back, like in, in relative real time. So it's kind of like chatting with a human. It is not human, though. Obviously, it is AI has been trained and it doesn't always give 100% human answers, right? But you can literally ask it anything, like, what is the best color? What is the best month? How do I do like the specific thing in your job? Now, you shouldn't put proprietary things in there because there's no expectation of privacy. And so you can fully expect that, like if you put something that is uh, material non-public information for your, your company into that model and it later is discovered, that's on you, right? So don't do that, right? Um, but, you know, another friend of mine on LinkedIn, who's who, she's amazing. And she does um, sort of like LinkedIn, um, uh, like, like 101 for people that are kind of new to LinkedIn or like they don't know about their profile, their keywords, their experience, or their recommendations and sort of how to pull it all together. Well, there's a tool. It's called resumewarded.com. And you download a PDF of your LinkedIn, you upload it, and it tells you bit by bit where you could improve, you know, your LinkedIn profile, right? Um, you know, there are things like uh, Grammarly, right? So <laughs> I, I like to say sometimes, um, MIT taught me how to do math and Harvard taught me how to spell, right? But the spelling part, eh, you know, uh, we all get, uh, uh, you know, twisted around like certain words, right? Because the English language is not exactly hard to learn for, you know, our non-English um, uh, native speakers who, who tell me this. And so um, those are things that you could use today with no coding required like whatsoever. And so, you know, is there too much? I'm not sure. Um, 
there's a splinter here that we haven't talked about yet, which is uh, AI ethics, right? And so I spent a lot of time in supply chain before coming to my current industry. And in supply chain, there's a lot of talk about um, autonomous vehicles, right? So there's like five levels of autonomy. So if you've got a car that's got cruise control, that's maybe level one. If you've got a Tesla that will allow you to play bridge in the back seat while the car is driving itself, like in a, an urban environment, that's level five, right? The, the common dilemma that's often brought up is, okay, car self-driving. There is a granny who's on a stroller uh, in the road, and there's a woman with her baby uh, in a carriage on the sidewalk. What should the car do? Should it mow down the cranny or should it mow down the baby on the sidewalk? These are not good options, right? And hopefully it never and comes to that. the granny. I thought it was, what are you talking about? It was clear. You got to save the baby. Easy for Laura. Easy for Laura. <laughs> got to save the baby. What are you talking about? Yeah, okay. So, uh, um, so I, I guess we do have clear direction to the AI designers at Tesla right now. You yeah. heard it here first, folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so that's a potential dilemma. And the other thing is, uh, in software, there's this term called GIGO, garbage in, garbage out, right? And so in AI, a model is only as good as the data it's trained on. And so if the data is biased or incomplete or stale, then the results are likely to replicate exactly what the model was fed, right? And so this whole AI ethics thing, I think, is probably way behind the state of the art in terms of new models that are being produced because it has never been easier to produce software um, than today because you can spin up an Amazon uh, web services or a Microsoft uh, Azure or Google Cloud Platform um, sort of infrastructure like very quickly. Um, most of the startups that I talk to, they can get developers in India, Pakistan, Costa Rica, um, not the Ukraine anymore, um, but you know Eastern Europe, and so you can have five to ten developers that are you know building you a new app inside of three to six months, right? And so it's very easy to get things built. I think the challenge is um, making sure that you're solving a use case. You're you've got sort of the ethics in mind, and obviously you know you got to make money. I mean, unless you're a nonprofit, <laughs> you you got to have kind of some way to you know um, make good on your investments, but Hopefully that gives you some of the nuances around your answer. I don't have one answer for you. Like, yes, there are too many things happening. And um, no, there are no practical uses of AI that I see right now. I, I tend not to uh, live in absolutes. I, I live in a fuzzy gray middle for most of my life. I mean, Andrew, you went from like how to use AI to get a job to how to use AI to save a baby. Like there was just a lot going on there. It was great. I was just like, tell me more. This is like 17 episodes in one. So I love everything that you're saying. I just kind of want to put that out there. Everything you. you're saying you. is is on point. Um I, I do want to ask when it comes to AI and ethics, as as you were mentioning, I think that is so challenging now, especially in different countries and different states with all the security laws. And now that data privacy meets cybersecurity meets e-discovery, data governance, all the things are all now one when it comes down to it. How do you feel about companies that say, we don't need to worry about those things just yet? Like we're, and I, and I'm, 
ethics isn't necessarily the whole thing, but they're saying, we don't need to get into too much. We've developed AI. We have this platform. There's nothing that we need to be like overly concerned just yet. For people that are kind of at the beginning, do you think they're silly and they need to automatically start with, actually, you need to invest in making sure this, this, and this? Or do you think that in some cases you can invest as much as you want and it's it's not going to make those changes anyway because sometimes unfortunately there is some sort of biased unethical i lost my question here andrew i, I don't know yeah, how to ask it help me I, I i get the gist of your question um so a couple of things i think in technology speed kills and so speed getting your solution out there that is vitally important right and so um I, you know, I often say that patents are, are great. I, I have 11 patents and I think they're worth the paper that they're printed on. And I, I think with a good intellectual property attorney, you can always like get your way around patents. Plus they take a long time to, to um, uh, you know, actually get issued, right? It's, it's sort of a good flag in the ground. And if you've got like a seminal patent, good for you, right? But for most people, like that is not really going to help you as much as getting out and getting in the wild and iterating, testing, getting the minimum viable product. Does it work? Getting feedback. Okay. Getting from zero to one. Uh, can you scale it? Great. Go hire a VP of sales. Okay. So now can we get to 10 or $100 million of ARR, right? So the, the gestation period from, you know, an idea on a napkin to like a, a startup to a growth uh, company. And so, unfortunately, on a global basis, the ethics are going to be dictated by the cultures that, you know, the, the developers are, are working in. For example, so in the U.S., autonomous vehicles, um, I think, are still only allowed in certain states. That means that, so for example, like I-10 and I-40, they crisscross from coast to coast, right? So theoretically, one can drive from, uh, you know, Maine to Seattle, right? However, there are states in between that disallow autonomous vehicles. Right. That is not the case in China. Right. China has been on road testing autonomous vehicles. And so there are Chinese um, uh, autonomous vehicle startups that have millions of road miles tested in various uh, various conditions. And so, you know, I've been in China in Hong Kong. It's an urban environment. It's, it's very much like New York. And so it's very dense and things are happening all the time. You got pedestrians jaywalking, all that stuff. Uh, in the more rural areas, you may literally have like, you know, um, uh, vendors on the side of the road, right? And so it's it's probably slower traffic and it's more sporadic, right? And you know, fewer stop signs, as if people in New York ever paid attention to stop signs or stoplights, right? I mean, I think that seems to be maybe the same all over, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that you must be aware of these things because you know what can actually happen is uh, uh, what will be consistent, I think, across the globe is loss of life, right? If anything contributes to the loss of life. That will not stand. Something will quickly uh, be done. And then, um, you know, financial loss, right? I think it's entirely possible that um, there are hedge funds that are trading using AI models that are going to outfox every single retail investor who just doesn't have access, right, to the same volume of information, does not have fiber optic cable that's uh, tied into, you know, the floor of the major exchanges. And so, all their trades will be a little bit slower, a little bit less informed. And so is it ethical that big money people have more access and more information? Or is it ethical that the people that don't, you know, figure out how to like level the playing field? I'm not here to judge, <laughs> right? I, I'm just kind of laying out um, the real world realities that exist like right now. And it exists for like a period of time. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. Um, 
And just to, one more question about this ethics thing, and then I want to learn more a little bit about, um, you know, the through line of, of models and coding. But um, why do you think that some of the um, standards or like the levels of automation are where they are, say, in China versus here? Like, why is it so different that they are doing so much more testing and all of that versus here where we're having issues with, you know, there was a report about a, a Tesla pileup that happened with a self, an issue with a self-driving car. So, um, yeah, any insight into that? Yeah, it's just fundamentally different, right? So uh, last time I was in um, um, China, I was uh, I was fortunate to be around Tiananmen Square. Uh, Tiananmen Square is a relatively famous place, and um, you know it's it's very different than um, Xinjiang, which is more of a manufacturing um, a hub than the capital is, right? But I think what's consistent is the state controls everything, right? Like to the point, the very wealthy billionaires, right? So I think it was was it like Jack Ma, so Alibaba. So Alibaba is is sort of you know China's answer to Amazon, right? And I don't know if there's a more, I'm pro- I'm sure there must be, but Jack Ma has got to be like one of the most famous. China uh, tech entrepreneurs of all time, right? Because he was a teacher who grew a multi-billion dollar business. And then maybe he had some words that the state did not ex- exactly like. And so he disappeared for a point in time. Like, say what you will about the people that run tech companies in the US, but none of them are going to disappear. Like, like yeah. people in DC, you're not going to lock them up, right? Stop them from saying whatever they were trying to say. Like, that's not going to happen, right? And so in that authoritarian environment where you can literally dictate what happens, um, that's just very different than in the U.S., where that's that's just not necessarily the case. I think that what dictates what happens here is access to capital, right? And so, um, in San Francisco and Boston, which are the two biggest tech hubs, you know, in the U.S., uh, what dictates what happens uh, to technology is um, the entrepreneurs there, and there are other places, obviously. Uh, Atlanta, Chicago, in Dallas, Austin, right? Um, you know, Denver, et cetera, uh, Seattle. Um, access to capital, access to talent. Um, those things can either make or break a company. I talk to early stage founders all the time. And I tell them most frequently, listen, the world wakes up or, or every day, the world tries to choke the life out of your startup. Your job is to live one more day. And if you live enough days, then you can maybe reach this escape velocity. But don't you contribute to the death of your old startup? Like that, that, that's a problem, right? And so the environment that engineers find themselves in or, or have to move to, right? So I, I've had friends that have, you know, they've been in the middle of America and it's like, listen, I can't do this here. I've got to move to California. I've got to move to New York. I've got to move to fill in the blank, right? I think that's less true post-pandemic, right? Because we've all tried to kind of figured that out. And certainly for my founders, uh, the founders that I talked to that have international developers that aren't even in the country anyway, right? They care less about that. And they care more about how do we get to customers. And so um, I think it's the country, it's the culture, it's the uh, it's the environment that people find themselves in um, that really drives some of the uh, rapid adoption or meter growth of technology broadly than AI specifically. Andrew, God, I just need a minute. Every time you talk, I'm just like, good Lord, this man is good. You are good. I mean, I want to ask a question and I, and this is just, this is just a silly question, but it's not. 
it's not. Okay, so what is the next hot phrase? And what I mean by that is you had Cal, you had TAR, you had machine learning, deep learning, emotional intelligence. Now we have artificial intelligence. What do you think they're going to be saying next? Like what in like, you know, two years, five years, however many years are they all of a sudden going to be like, you know, I don't know, spin. And now we're like, spin, what's spin? But in like five years, everyone's been like, you know, if you're not spinning, you're not in or whatever. So I'll both a few things together. I think it could be generative AI model management, right? So generative AI right now is very hot. That means that the AI can generate the next sentence, the next word, the next paragraph, the next image, right? Uh, but model management or sort of machine learning operations. So, so with software, there's a thing called DevOps. DevOps kind of keeps the lights on so that your software can actually run, right? Uh, so ML ops is the same thing for machine learning, right? So as you have all of these various models, right? If you're a big, uh, let's say a Fortune 50 company, you may not care which model that you use. You may want to use multiple models and get the best answer from each of those models, right? Depending upon the specific application, right? Well, you don't want to maintain all that, right? And so how do you get sort of an overlay on top of the multiple models that you may be using and sort of have... Um, a control tower, which is more of a supply chain term, um, that helps you manage the multiple models that you may need in order to run your business. And so I think that there's probably a company somewhere in you know San Francisco, Boston, Israel, that's working on generative AI uh, ops like right now, because they're seeing that most people are not going to be able to manage multiple models because it's, it's hard enough getting good at one model, integrating one model, right? And so to do that times five or times 10, no, I, that, that seems like just too many person hours. No, to move just no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so kind of like with the maybe wrapping up thought for the episode, um, you know, cause I feel like we could keep you here forever, but, uh, we, we will let you go back to your normal life. Um, so how does this in your eyes kind of go back to what we were talking about before with, um, using models without coding and the benefits or, you know, or maybe there's some pros, maybe there's some cons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, leave us with kind of a, a thought about that. You could scare us too. It could be like a scary one. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll go back to some of the ones that I've already mentioned. Uh, you know, ChatGPT, um, uh, you know, Grammarly, uh, resume worded. Um, you know, these are all things that you can reuse right now. But in general, I, I think you need a methodology for learning, right? And I think what that looks like is if you can imagine something that's repetitive in your day to day life, um, you got to figure out how to Google it, right? Um, AI model for helping me sort medicine bottles. I, I, I got a couple of medicine bottles in front of me, so I just I literally made that up on the spot, right? But like whatever your fill in the blank is, I bet you there's a model out there, right? And maybe it's a Chrome extension, or maybe it's something you have to like, you know, give them your email so you can like, you know, actually like log in or something like that. But mostly, um, it's like five clicks or fewer, and you're using the model, right? With most of the things that are out there, and so I encourage you to figure out how to 
make your life easier, right? I just hear self-preservation. I like using lots of these things because I just don't have all the hours in the day. And even if I did, I'd rather spend them deadlifting, playing guitar, playing chess, uh, talking to my wife, like whatever the case may be. No one wants to kind of like just, you know, grind it out like pounding sand, right? So there are many models out there for you to use right now. You do not need to know Python. Um, you should probably know it's a coding language, not a snake. That's helpful, right? But you don't actually have to download, you know, the latest version of Python and manipulate that in order to get the benefit of, out of using AI, like today. So, Laura, we're here. We're joined with Kevin Albert, our uh, education expert, and we are going to talk about Andrew Kelly. We just talked to him, and he's AI expert. Um, so let's start with Kevin first. Kevin, Wait, what did Kev, you think about Before you do this, Gabby, Andrew Kelly the third. I'm so I sorry. I mean, Andrew Kelly the third. It's a big moment. The third, Andrew Kelly the third. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? I thought this was an interesting episode. I definitely think a lot of topics were covered. Um, one of the pieces that I thought was interesting that he really got into was sort of the universality of it right now, right? Where all things are free and, you know, people have access to everything. But at some point in time, you know, I think he's probably right. You know, we're definitely going to have things that are going to be behind paywalls, things that are going to cost money. And so there's definitely going to be sort of an us and them kind of feel, um, you know, and, and I do think he really hit on that. And that piece of it definitely, you know, kind of piqued my interest and, and kind of my, you know, curiosity because you wonder, you know, what, you know, what is that going to really look like in the future? You know, whether it is from his standpoint, as you said, related to um, like, you know, financial models or, you know, hedge fund folks or even just, you know, like art across the board, you know, as people start to, you know, copyright things and, and really start to fight against the AI using their likenesses and all. I think it's going to be really interesting. I agree, Kev. Uh, I mean, he had so many interesting just things to say. His perspective, and, and it wasn't even perspective, it was just actual facts that he's able to talk to and even suggestions as somebody who loves LinkedIn when he was talking about using how you could take your LinkedIn profile and basically turn it into a resume without manually building that. I did not know that that was a thing. Um, admitting that live on the podcast, I did not know that, but it, it's wow. super interesting. Yeah. I mean, Gabby, has your life changed? Are you ready for the quiz? My life is so changed and yeah, I'm ready for the quiz. Um, I'm basically going to use generative AI to, to answer the questions. JK, I hate. <laughs> um, all right. So Laura, where- yeah, that seems like cheating. Yeah, <laughs> might be. But if, if you want to learn more about how to use AI to change your life or not use AI because your life is incredible and you just want to reach out to tell us, you should do that by emailing us at contact at thattechpod.com. If you haven't subscribed to make the right choice, do that. Head on over to www.thattechpod.com. Put your email, see what's going on. Make sure you're up to date on the most recent TechPod gear. If you're not shopping for our gear, you are really just not fashionable. And I'm sorry, but it's just a fact. So get on it. Check us out at LinkedIn slash thattechpod, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, um, all the social media. You can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, listening to this podcast, and give us a five-star rating or review. We would love you forever. And thank you so much. See you next time. See you next month.